Now, most of us in this country have the same picture of God. We picture God begging like a homeless man, desperately worried that so few people believe in him, tearfully grateful that anyone would move from outright atheism just to believing that he's a force, that there's a higher power. You know, call him by whatever name you want. He'll take anything. If that's your understanding of God, I think this morning's passage is really going to challenge you. It might surprise you. Look at John 2, 23. The large numbers are the chapters. The small numbers are the verses. You will be helped if you keep that Red Pew Bible open for the entire time. We're just going to reference it and talk about it. That's all we do. Your confidence should be in those words and not in mine. John 2, 23. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. You would expect Jesus to be tearfully grateful. His signs are producing faith. But that's where we're surprised. And John sets us up as a reader for that surprise by this contrast word in 24. It starts with the word, but. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. Does it surprise you that Jesus does not impart himself to everyone that is impressed with him? Jesus does not entrust himself to all those that say, Jesus, I trust you. And the key reason here is found in verse 25. And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. We think the hard part is convincing people to believe in Jesus. And we're surprised that Jesus needs convincing to trust people. How could this be? Why would Jesus ever hold back? Well, to provide an explanation, John moves from Jesus who knew what was in a man, chapter 2, to chapter 3, now there was a man. The very words that end chapter 2 are the very same words that begin chapter 3. Here is a man, a precise example of John 2, 23, faith. And we're going to meet him. You might already know him. For in fact, you might be him. Are you a good person? You're not, you're not perfect by any means, but I mean, you're good enough. Do you believe that God is pleased with your best efforts? And do you think that your religion will help? That this man had that same understanding. He aspired to be good. He's pretty optimistic that whatever God says that he will be able to do. And he believes that God will be impressed with his best efforts. And he assumes that his religion will help him be an even better person. But Jesus confronts him with the need to replace his religion with a relationship with God. Friends, catch me on this. His religion was the key thing that was impeding his relationship with God. It is because of his view of religion that he does not understand why he must be born again, what it means to be born again, 
or even how one is born again. That's our outline. He is surprised by why he must be born again, what it means to be born again, and how to be born again. And that outline is for this point. Catch me. If even the best person must be born again, even the worst person can be born again. Everyone must be born again. Anyone can be born again. Well, let's meet this man who is surprised at every single turn. Surprised that the best person must be born again. John 3, 1 says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. John, the gospel writer here that we're reading from, chose someone that we would have thought Jesus was exactly looking for. A very, very good man. A shoe-in for the kingdom of God. Look at his prestige. He is a man of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, if you're new to Christianity, are the serious, religious, observant type. Think your Catholic relative who attends Mass every day and goes to confession and even takes a pilgrimage to the Vatican. Or think your very, very good, moral, honest boss who never cheats on a deal. You say Pharisee, they hear good man. He is also a ruler of the Jews. Do not think, you know, your local council treasurer. In chapter 7, he is part of the Sanhedrin, which is only 70 people. So think United States Senate minus 30 with a religious edge. It is more of the high Sharia court in Iran. In verse 10, it says that he is a teacher of Israel. Don't think social studies teacher. Think chief rabbi, professor of theology, fellow of the Royal Society. And his privileged position, oh, gives him an air of presumption. Nicodemus thinks he can see something of who Jesus is. Look at verse 2. We know you are a teacher from God. He's confident that he can assess Jesus accurately. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. And Nicodemus expects gratitude. Jesus is supposed to say, thank you. Thanks for the thumbs up. Glad you're impressed. Hey, hit that like button. Don't forget to subscribe. We should work together. But Jesus does not move forward him. In fact, Jesus holds back. Why is Jesus less than impressed? John 2, 24 through 25. For he knows what is in a man. And therefore, Jesus does not trust this man. Even the good, very good, very, very, very good religious man. So let the fireworks begin. Jesus says, oh, Nicodemus, you think you know something. Well, listen to me. Look with me here at verse 3. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, that is the first of three times in this passage. And each time Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, it is an explosion. Do you hear it detonate when Jesus says, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What is Jesus doing there? 
he is questioning his bedrock assumption that he is in a relationship with God because of his religion. Put yourself in Nicodemus' sandals. You extend a warm greeting. Rabbi, we know you've come from God and God is with you. And Jesus isn't tearfully grateful. He rejects your generosity. And he gives you an answer before you even ask a question. Have you found that there is nothing more disconcerting than to be given an answer to a question you were never asking? Nicodemus never asks, will I be welcomed into the kingdom of God? Because Nicodemus assumes with a false confidence that he's all set. He never asked it because he thought he was good and that certainly his religion had made him better. He looks good on the outside. Much like the home that Laura and I bought, we bought a foreclosure. It got flipped. First time home buyers. We walked through. Place was empty, spacious. Fresh new coat of paint, gorgeous. Hadn't been lived in for, I don't know, a year. No problem. Five of us put it to the stress test. That's right, homeschoolers. We live there and do everything there. Nothing outside the home. It's all there. And next thing you know, all that looked so nice on the outside was only covering all of these rotten things on the inside. And it put to the stress test. Whew, we had some problems. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, I see you got a lot of nice paint on the outside, man. But I know what your heart is like, and it ain't pretty. And I don't trust you. And you shouldn't trust your religion to get you from there to the kingdom of God. Those credits don't transfer. All the work that you've accomplished isn't work. Nico, you don't need a little reform. You need to be reborn. It's not an option. It's a necessity. Hear Jesus' words again. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless there's air, there's no fire. Unless there's rain, there's no crops. Unless you're born again, there is no Christian. And Nicodemus is shocked. He's good. Religion has made him better. Surely God would be impressed. Why would he need to be born again? He's unaware of his own spiritual darkness. His night was blacker than he knew. Look at verse 4. Nicodemus picks up a literal interpretation. Nicodemus said to him in verse 4, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? He really wants to expose the ridiculous nature of what Jesus is saying by interpreting it with an overly literal and physical interpretation. You want me to go back into my mom and be born again? Who would be able to do that again? Church, who would want to ever do that again? Jesus clarifies what it means to be born again. Point two, what it means to be born again. Jesus answered in verses five through eight. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. 
Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus is telling Nicodemus, there is no process that the old you can go through in order for you to make it. There is no leaf you can turn over because, Nico, you don't need a new leaf. You need a new life. Even the best need a brand new start. Even the best need an entirely new person. Now, think back with me to just a couple months ago, and I want to give you an illustration I think will help you understand this. I hope it will make my point. Remember when Tom Brady retired? Okay. Well, just put yourself in that time period. Okay, he's still retired for this illustration. And you read the headlines, and you're like me. You read them, and you realize the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the quarterback position are in need of a little bit of help. Now, I read the headlines, and so I catch all of my signs from God from the newspaper. And so I say, wow, it's a sign. I must call Tampa Bay and let them know that I have something to offer. And so I call Coach Arians, and I say, uh, Coach, I don't know if you know it or not, but I was something of a thing in junior IPE class when I was the teacher. And... Uh, yeah, I'll let that sink in, okay? Uh, and, and so, you know, I just want to offer my services. And they were so desperate for those couple of months. That the, that Coach Arian says, yeah, I'll fly down to the Sunshine State. So I go to the Sunshine State. They give me 20 minutes with a pig skin with big angry men chasing me around. And then they say no. Surprise. But I've been told that every negative is an opportunity for a positive. So I asked them, hey, coach, anything I can work on? You know, my shoulder mobility, a couple more pickup games. I'll come back next year. Now, Bruce Arians is a known hot-tempered coach. And he looks at me and he says, truly, truly, Josh Owens, I'm telling you, the only way you could play football for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is if you started again from birth. Entirely new parents, entirely new genes. There is no way you are playing for the Buccaneers. I'm never going to play for the Bucs. But Nicodemus is one of those guys that actually has a shot. Nicodemus is the guy that gets called in the first round draft pick for the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to him, there's no way you're making this team unless you get entirely new parents and an entirely new set of genes. Hey family, are you surprised at the degree of transformation needed for you to gain access to the kingdom of God. You don't have it within you. That's what he says here when he says, the flesh gives birth to flesh. The flesh can't do it because we are not in the realm of cosmetic implants. We are in the realm of a whole new heart transplant. This is not a nip and tuck. This is a whole new life. No matter how good your flesh is, flesh produces flesh. Spirit produces spirit. Only God can do it. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Jesus says to him, all of this stuff, he's rolling it out to Nicodemus right from the material that Nicodemus would have written his dissertation on. Nicodemus is a professor of theology. 
And Jesus is saying, hey, Nico, I'm talking your language. I'm using all of these words that you would know from your original source material that you would have written your dissertation on. It's called the Old Testament. Water, wind, spirit. Nico, you should be picking this up. Do not marvel. Don't be surprised that I say to you, you must be born again. For the words that I'm using are words that you should know. So let me just clarify, if you're our guest and you're our friend, I just want to clarify this with you. Those that are exploring Christianity, this is really, really important in our day and age. Being born again is not original with conservative political candidates trying to win the votes of Southern Baptist. Being born again is not what it means to be those kinds of Christians that are politically active. Being born again is original to the Old Testament, and what it means is to be a Christian. You cannot be a Christian without being born again. To be born again is to be a Christian. Everyone must be born again. Anyone can be born again. Well, how do you do that? Nicodemus asked that question in verses 9 through 15, and aren't you glad that he asked questions that you would desire to ask yourself? Look at 3.9. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Point three, Nicodemus is surprised on how it works. Have you ever seen those kids that come to the teacher's desk with deer in the headlights look? Like, you know that the teacher's been working with them and trying to explain this as elementary as possible, and they still walk up there and go, I don't get it. And Jesus is at the point of saying, Nicodemus, you're making me work too hard here. I'm using your source material, and you still don't get it? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? You need me to connect the dots for you, O professor of theology? So he says in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, it's the third time, and now he says, let me tell you something. And officially, at this point in the story, it stops being a dialogue, and it goes straight to monologue. Notice Jesus picks up the royal we himself. Nicodemus came in saying, we know that you're a teacher. And now Jesus is going to say, I'm going to match we for we with you, Nicodemus. Look at verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. In the words of State Farm, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Jesus says, from the lesser to the greater, if you can't understand these simple things, why should I tell you deeper things? Look at verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Boom. Next detonation. Christ claims to be the Son of Man. And he says, because of that, I can speak authoritatively about heaven because I come down from there. I don't have to footnote somebody to quote them. I am the source. And therefore, I can explain it. But if you can't handle elementary school, why do you want me to explain to you in greater detail what would require divinity school training? Let's just stick to the basics. 
Let's think about how new birth is achieved from a new angle. Nico, you didn't get the water, spirit, wind thing from Ezekiel. Let's go ahead and jump back now to a more familiar story in Numbers 21 that Michelle read for us, the well-known account of the bronze snake in the, serp in the desert. Well-known to Nico, maybe not well-known to you. So don't be afraid. We're not going to assume that you would know the story. We're going to break it down for you point by point. Numbers 21, Jesus almost has a direct citation. Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The story in Numbers involves Israel in the wilderness years, and they have rejected God's ways, right? Therefore, God, he sends a fiery judgment. Catch that. The serpents are not accidental. God sent them as a righteous judgment against them because of their sinful ingratitude. God sent it. And when they bite they produce death. But at the same time God is judging them, he also provides a rescue for them, a way for them to be saved from his judgment. It is God's mercy that he tells Moses to make a serpent from bronze, a picture of the curse that he sent, death, and a picture of what they deserved, death. Lifted high on a pole right in the middle of camp, and anyone, whoever is bitten by a fiery serpent, if they would look, then they would live. Look and live. That's how it works to be born again. Just as the serpent is lifted high up on a pole, so is the Son of Man lifted up. But this time Jesus does something remarkable. Jesus is not a symbol of judgment like the serpent. Jesus becomes a substitute for your judgment. Jesus Christ on the cross actually died there to save you from the wrath of God. It is God's just wrath for our sinful ingratitude towards him. And Christ stepped in and became a substitute for us that anyone who would look to him could live eternally, eternal life. And he says this to Nicodemus, the best of the best. His religion was not enough. In fact, his religion was part of the problem. His religion impeded his relationship with God because his religion fed his self-trust, all that he had accomplished. For he could never look to Christ as Savior when the whole time he is lifting himself up at all that he had done. He needs to replace his religion with a relationship with God. Friends, is your religion in the way of your relationship with God? If it is true of Nicodemus, the best of the best, it can be true of everyone. If even the best must be born again, even the worst can be born again. Well, at this point, the conversation is over. Nicodemus' curiosity does not lead to a confession. This conversation does not lead to a conversion. Actually, Nicodemus retreats back into the darkness. 
Here's what's amazing. We find Nicodemus again in John 19. Go ahead and flip to John 19, 38. That's going to the right. Large numbers of the chapters, small numbers of the verses. John 19, 38. This is where Jesus is lifted up on a cross and he has died. It is at this moment that we pick up our scene and we find Nicodemus again. Listen to John 19, beginning at verse 38. We'll read through verse 40. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took away his body. 39. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus bound it in linen clothes with spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Nicodemus is there to take Jesus off the cross. Therefore, Nicodemus is standing beneath the cross, looking up. And when he puts his eyes on Jesus, could you picture his mind going back to this conversation? You will see a serpent lifted high on a pole, a symbol for judgment. But even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, a substitute for judgment. God's wrath turned away, life given, relationship restored. There he is beneath the cross. Jesus lifted up for all to see. Truly, truly, Jesus is correct when he said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men from myself. All. Whoever. Everyone must be born again. Anyone can be born again. Now that you understand why you must be born again, what it means to be born again, and how it works, are you surprised to find it a relief That's how it hit me when I, heard it for the, when I heard it for the first time. What a relief that Jesus doesn't say, here are the principles, apply them. Here are the rules, obey them. Here are the religious rites that you must do to follow them. No, Jesus says the only thing you can contribute to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And he takes salvation completely out of your hands. And he says, you must be born again spiritually. Look and live. Look at God's appointed means of deliverance and live. Have life the way it was supposed to be in relationship with God. What a relief. He accomplished it all for you. What a relief that he became the Savior you need. Now, friends, all you need is need. But most people don't have that. And rejected generosity is always a surprise. Perhaps you're like Nicodemus. You didn't come here today to be born again. You're all set. You're confident. You're optimistic that you can be a better person today than you were yesterday. 
You've seen personal growth. You've changed a little bit, and you feel good about yourself. And all message long, I have just been an irritant to you. You've been rebuffed by the necessity that you must be born again. You are resenting that God has taken all self-justification out of your hands. You're insulted that Jesus doesn't trust you. But are you surprised that he would still die for you? My non-Christian friend, what sounds more like a message that has come down from heaven? And which one sounds more like a message that was made up on this earth? You're good. Try a little harder. Religion will help. God will accept you. Or, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Salvation must be found even by the best. Salvation can be found even by the worst. If you hear and you don't know Christ, you should turn and trust. Why would you reject this generosity? Faith family, let me encourage you in closing. The story of Nicodemus should remind you that salvation can be found in the least likely people you know. Nicodemus teaches us that there is no one who is so locked in prejudice and unbelief that they can't be saved. Just think about your own life right now. How many of us here, one year before you were a Christian, think back, one year before you were a Christian, and you were probably around other Christians who wrote you off. Why even bother with him anymore? You know what? It's no use even talking to her. Yet how many of us are the surprising testimonies of the nature of how the Spirit blows wherever He wants? Faith family, be very aggressive in your praying. We can pray for the most unlikely people we know with great hope. Faith family, is your hope lagging? Has your evangelism waned? All you got to do is one thing today. Go home and look in the mirror. Everyone must be born again. Anyone can be born again. Would you be very aggressive in your praying? The handbell choir is going to come up. They're going to play the song, Beneath the Cross of Jesus. You have about four minutes to reflect. If you're here as a non-Christian, I would encourage you to talk to the person beside you who brought you and ask them, how can I be born again? You can pray with God, and he will hear you right now if the Spirit is working in your life. If you are a believer, you should be praying for people that you know the Spirit would work in their life and bring them to faith. After the handbell choir plays this time of reflection, we're going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing a closing song called He Will Hold Me Fast. We'll end with announcements after that, and we'll be dismissed.